I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents, a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is June 19th, and I've got a great show for you this week. This week, today, to be specific, is Father's Day. And I know, like all of you, I have a father that I want to talk about for the briefest of moments. I had a sort of difficult time as did many others uh, growing up. You see, the man that raised me was my stepdad, not the man who helped create me. And when I was a young boy, it seemed that uh, no matter what he did right, no matter what he did for me, no matter the lessons that he taught me, when I was youth, it didn't matter because he was always the step father the step dad you know i have i've a lot of really good things to say about my stepdad and to begin i need to just toss out that step because he he is just my dad He's the man that raised me. He's the man that taught me how to be a man. And I would like to think that he did a pretty fucking good job. It wasn't always easy. The kids that he took on to raise that were not his own did not make it easy. But he did an exceptional job. Throughout the difficulty, one of the strongest lessons that I gleaned from him was work ethic. If you start something, you follow it through. I will always be thankful to him for that because it has served me well in my life. And it doesn't matter how shitty the job I was in at the time or how early in my job career it was, be it 16 or even... 12, digging extra parking lots, clearing entire tunnels of dirt for our neighbors. He was always there, helping me when I needed it, guiding me. And when a friend of mine took his life, I got a lot of condolence from a lot of different people, though I probably didn't deserve it. He said something to me that had since always stuck with me. And though it may not stand true, it may not ring true in every circumstance, I know for me at the time, and in times since, it has always been something that I fall back on. And it's that time heals all wounds. 
Now, he didn't make it up. He didn't say it for the first time. But he gave it to me, the thought, the notion. And I needed it. And though in its own esoteric way, depending on the individual and how they take it, it can be complete and utter bullshit. Or it can be pure, raw truth. There's a lot of other lessons that I learned from my dad. But I think that one is the one that rings the freshest in my mind. See, he was a war hero. And let me preface this just for the moment and say that I didn't agree, and I still don't, uh, at the core of my being, agree with his politics, his philosophies. But in every sense of the word, both legitimate and otherwise, he was a fucking hero. He is a fucking hero. In Vietnam, he was decorated uh, multiple times. Silver, bronze stars. He was put in for the Medal of Honor. He did not receive it. He is featured in multiple books for his heroism. And the reasons why he did it, as he would explain it, as I see it, are out of folly. Because they're all religious in nature. But the fact that what he did for the men he served with, you know, he deserved much more than those pieces of metal on his uniform. And I came to understand that more than anything else, he deserved our respect. And I say ours because not just mine, like many other men before him and since, who have donned the uniform of their country for whatever reason, and put themselves in harm's way for their brothers in arms, for the idea that their children would have the same lifestyle that they were afforded, hopefully better. For all of them, it is our respect that they deserve, that they bled for, that they fought for, and that in the worst cases, they died for. I have great pride in saying that my dad is a hero. And even if it wasn't for the uniform, he was always Superman to me. So thank you. Thank you for raising me to be the man that I am. Thank you for giving me something to strive for. Thank you. As you may or may not have seen, Radio Free Satan Network will be off for this week. I'm going to still release this on my RSS and upload it to the network. 
and I will be putting out a new episode next week. So regardless of where the show is presented, there will be no break here. And I do have a great show for you. Trying to collect myself here. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about Lex Talionis. In Infernal Informant, the article, Your Dog is Watching You. I found it suitable since last week's Bizarre the Bizarre. And Our Lefty Military. And in Creature Feature, I'm going to bring you Jay Nothing, the GJ for the Metro, another one of the fine shows on the Radio Free Set Network. And I also have a hopefully entertaining Bizarre Bizarre this week. So, let me blow my nose, <laughs> uh, regroup a little bit. We're going to have a little break, and at the end of it, we're going to jump right into The Devil's Advocate. Thanks for joining me. The Satanic Scriptures hands down the wit, wisdom, and diabolical perspective of the Church of Satan's High Priest, Magus Peter H. Gilmore. These essays, articles, and diatribes have been collected from over 20 years of the High Priest's writings for his Infernal Cabal, some first issued in the pages of publications available only to insiders. From the magic of toys to techniques of time travel, Magus Gilmore leads the reader down a left-hand path where few will find what they expect. Magus Gilmore reveals principles of satanic ritual in a frank discussion of forbidden rites. What is a satanic funeral? How do Satanists marry? Find out now, as these unholy ceremonies have never been disclosed outside of the Church of Satan's hellish hierarchy. Here is the philosophy for those bold enough to be their own gods or devils. Visit thesatanicscriptures.com for more information. Released by Scapegoat Publishing. Available in paperback form from major booksellers and independents nationwide. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I'll raise up my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon. To the north and to the south. I show a sign proclaiming a death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. Can I get a hail Satan? I said, can I get a hail Satan? We are the Devil's Advocates. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. All right. In the Devil's Advocate today, we're going to be talking about Lex Talionis. The principle or law of retaliation that a punishment inflicted should correspond in degree and kind to the offense of the wrongdoer. As an eye for the eye, a tooth for a tooth. Retributive justice. That was taken from dictionary.com. And this is from World Cultures. Uh, written by Richard Hooker, uh, public.wsu.edu. While all cultures have some system of social regulation and conflict resolution, law is a distinct phenomenon in that it is written and administered retribution and conflict resolution. 
The earliest human legal systems were almost universally forms of lex talionis, or the law of retaliation. The lex talionis is a law of equal and direct retribution. In the words of the Hebrew scriptures, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, an arm for an arm, a life for a life. The earliest written code of laws was the Code of Hammurabi, the most famous of the old Babylonian or Amorite kings of Mesopotamia. Hammurabi's Code of Laws is almost entirely based on the principle of equal and direct retribution. It betrays the origin of law in retributive violence. Since the Lex Talionis is often the earliest form that law takes, from it we can conclude that the basic function of law is revenge and retribution. Unlike direct retribution, however, the law is administered by the state or by individuals that cannot be victims of revenge in return. While revenge and retribution threatens to break down society as people take reciprocal revenge one another, revenge as it is embodied in law and administered by the state prevents mutual and reciprocal revenge from tearing the fabric of society apart. Again, that was uh, compiled by Richard Hooker. Lex Talionis. All right, so this is an idea that since the dawn of mankind, even before it was titled, has followed. And it is a very satanic ideal indeed. If you are struck on one cheek, you reach out and smash on the other. Paraphrase there. We do not believe in turning the other cheek. We believe in revenge. And that is precisely what Lex Talionis is. Now, in some cases, um, our American judicial system, in a weaker form, follows this. Unfortunately, it does not follow it to a T. Personally, I think, uh, you know, we would have a lot less issue with crime in general if we did follow this. But our modern, very Victorian morals as a society just won't allow it. Now, as Satanists, um, we believe in following the laws of the society that you are a part of. And the only way that we condone retributive justice is in the decompression chamber. Uh, not only can it enact, well, quite honestly, true rewards in some cases, it is a healthy, safe way to enact revenge without legal... <laughs> I guess you say uh, legal consequences... <laughs> you see, we certainly don't believe in murdering or taking the law into your own hand uh, in the real world, in the physical world. But because our reality is capable of being shaped, that's what the ritual chamber is for, quite literally. And you know what? Sometimes it's not just masturbation. Meaning... At its core, you're doing it for yourself, for your pleasure. 
to get back at those that have wronged you. Um, but the energy that you put out there sometimes yields results. Lex talionis. Let's just hope that there is a time in our future, and again, let us hope that it is sooner than later, that this notion is brought fuller into reality. Uh, because it is something that can help us not only live happier, more fulfilling lives, um, but we can finally shake loose those shackles of Islamic, Judeo-Christian, loving thy neighbor bullshit. Not everyone gets a fucking chance. Not everyone deserves a second fucking chance. In most violent cases, there should be never be a second chance. And that's what Lex Talonis is all about. So I just wanted to put it out there. Um, you know, it, it, it's an idea that is very satanic in nature at its core. And you know what? Sometimes you run across someone and uh, they're just unfamiliar with it. So uh, that's why I wanted to feature it in today's The Devil's Advocate. Let's go ahead and move on into the Infernal Informant. Warriors of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the infernal moment. Your dog is watching you by Tara Parker Pope. This is an article in the New York Times, June 16th, 2011. You may be teaching your dog new tricks without even trying. Dogs are constantly learning from the reaction of human owners, picking up facial cues and anticipating their owner's behavior, new research suggests. The findings, published online in the journal Learning and Behavior, show that dogs essentially are always in training and help explain how many owners unknowingly teach and reward their dog's bad behavior. Research conducted at the University of Florida focused on the role of eye contact and facial cues in influencing canine behavior. Earlier studies have suggested that dogs seem to know when they are being watched and even wait to perform forbidden behavior, like digging in the garden, when they know their owners aren't looking. In this study, researchers studied how human cues triggered begging behavior among 35 pet dogs, 18 shelter dogs, and 8 wolves raised in captivity. First, the animals were taught that the human strangers helping with the experiment were reliable sources of tasty treats. The testers stood close together and called to the animals, and both offered rewards of spam cubes or begging strip treats. After four rewards, the experiment began. Two testers stood against a fenced or wall, about 20 feet apart, and with food in their pockets. The dog was held about 20 feet away, equidistant from both testers. In one condition... One tester faced the dog while the other turned her back. In another, a tester held a book near her face while the other tester held the book in front of her face as if she were reading. In a third condition, one tester held a bucket near the shoulder while the other put the bucket over her head, blocking her eyes. Then, both testers called out to the dogs. All the animals, pet dogs, shelter dogs, and wolves, ignored the person whose back was turned and sought food from the person who was looking at them. Quote, the question was, are dogs and wolves responsive to a human's attentional state, said Monique Udell, who is now an assistant professor of psychology at Flagler College in St. Augustine, Florida. Do they have a feeling of whether we can see them or not? Turning your back, that's a cue all the animals were sensitive to. But when the testers held books, it was only the domestic dogs who avoided the person who appeared to be reading the book. 
quote, In a house where they're used to people reading books, they are sensitive to those types of cues, said Dr. Udell. A pet dog will not beg from someone reading the book. They will go to the person looking at them. A wolf or a dog at a shelter is indifferent to that cue. Interestingly, in the bucket experiment, the animals, for the most part, were equally likely to seek food from the person with the bucket over their head as the person holding the bucket. Dr. Udell notes that most dogs don't typically see a person with a bucket on his or her head, so they haven't learned how to read that cue. Quote, for us as humans, having a bucket over your head is very silly, she said. Dogs and wolves don't get that. Der. <laughs> Give me a break. For the most part, dogs and wolves would be equally likely to beg from someone with a bucket on your head because buckets don't hold much meaning. <laughs> or any meaning is the case. Um, surprisingly, one dog, a Labrador, performed very well in the bucket task, and the researchers wondered if perhaps the dog had seen its owner wearing a, bu- wearing a motorcycle helmet or hats. In the end, they couldn't find an explanation for the dog's strong performance and say it may simply be that that dog just got lucky in its guesses. The experiment shows that dogs are turned into uh, whether I'm sorry that dogs are tuned into whether humans are paying attention. Dogs don't have to read our minds. Dogs read our behaviors," said Dr. Udell. That might be why dogs are so successful in human homes. They are watching us. They are quick learners. They can figure out where, whether you're going to give them a next treat or whether you're going to give them a bath. Whether we know it or not, we're training them. Dr. Udell said pet owners often get frustrated with bad dog behavior without realizing that they themselves have reinforced it, either by giving a dog a treat when they beg, skipping a bath when they protest, or letting them sleep on the better couch. Quote, If we as owners don't remain consistent, the dog is learning what it's allowed to do, even in our, if in our heads. That's not what we desire said Dr. Udell. They are really good at knowing how to live the life they want inside the human home. If you've ever had a dog, and that's the end of the article, if you've ever had a dog, uh, you fucking already know this. I think it's funny that there was actually a study um, for this, as if there was a significant population or a significant group that didn't believe this in any form. And it's not just dogs, it's, you know, as a parent, it's kids too. You know what, you, at all times, you're being observed, whether you like it or not. And people react to you with how you carry yourself. So whether it's a dog being reinforced by poor behavior because of how you react, or a child, or your coworker. At, at our core, we all seek attention, and we all seek to figure out a way to get what we want in any circumstance. Uh, you know, and it's nothing new. I, I think it's very funny that there was a study for this done. It's it's ridiculous, and it plays into that whole idea of, uh, you know, a dog watching you uh, while you're having sex or, you know, while you're messing around with your partner. <laughs> they're watching you picking up on cues and behavior and, 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 and the ideas of affection you know at, at some level are are learned so it, it's just this idea that you are 
acting, you think, in a very uh, self-serving manner. But, uh, you know, at, at its core, either your animal, your kids, your friends, what have you, they're watching and they're deciding whether or not they're going to take this opportunity to do something that they wanted to do without you paying attention. And in most cases, be it animals or children, they do. Um, or whether they're just going to take this as an interesting opportunity to learn by observation. I, you know, I, I just thought this was a, a very funny article that they did this study because it seems like it should be obvious. We're all animals. <laughs> we all do this. Uh, why would they think that canines would be any different whether they are uh, wild or domesticated? Who knows? All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next article. And this is Our Lefty Military. Uh, also, the New York Times... Uh, let's see here. This was written by Nicholas D. Kristoff, published June 15th, 2011. As we search for paths out of America's economic crisis, many suggest businesses as a paradigm for cutting costs. According to my back-of-the-envelope math, top CEOs earn as much as $1 a second around the clock, partly by cutting medical benefits for employees. So they must be paragons for efficiency, Right. Actually, I'm not so sure. The business sector is dazzlingly productive, but it's also periodically blowing up our financial system. Yet if we seek another model, one that emphasizes universal health care and educational opportunity, one that seeks to curb income inequality, we don't have to turn into Sweden. Rather, look to the United States military. You see, when our armed forces are not firing missiles, they live by an astonishingly liberal ethos. And it works. The military helped lead the way in racial desegregation. And even today, it does more to provide equal opportunity to working class families, especially to blacks, than just about any social program. It has been an escalator of social mobility in American society because it invests in soldiers and gives them skills and opportunities. The United States Armed Forces knit together whites, Blacks, Asians, and Hispanics from diverse backgrounds invests in their education and training, provides them with excellent health care and child care, and does all this with minimal income gaps. A senior general earns about 10 times what a private makes, while, by my calculation, CEOs at major companies earn about 300 times as much as those cleaning their offices. That's right. The military ethos can sound pretty lefty. Quote, It's the purest application of socialism there is. Wesley Clark, the retired four-star general and former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO forces in Europe, told me. And he was only partly joking. It's a really fair system, and a lot of thought has been put into it, and people respond to it really well, he added. The country can learn from that sense of mission, he said, from the emphasis on long-term strategic thinking. The military is innately hierarchical, yet it nurtures the camaraderie, in part, because the military looks after its employees. This is a rare enclave of single-payer, universal health care, and it continues with a veteran's health care system that has much lower costs than the American system as a whole. 
Perhaps the most impressive achievement of the American military isn't its aircraft carriers, stunning as they are, rather it's the military daycare system for working parents. While one of America's greatest failings is underinvestment in early childhood education, which seems to be one of the best ways to break cycles of poverty, poverty from replicating, the military manages to provide superb childcare. The cost depends on family income and starts at $44 per week. I absolutely think it's a model, said Linda K. Smith, executive director of the National Association of Childcare Resource and Referral Agencies which advocates for better child care in America. Mrs. Smith, who used to oversee the military daycare system before she retired from the Defense Department, said that the military sees child care as a strategic necessity to maintain military readiness and to retain highly trained officers. One of the things I admire most about the military is the way it invests in educating and training its people. Its universities, the military academies, are excellent, and it has ROTC programs at other campuses around the country. Many soldiers get medical training, law degrees, or PhDs while in service, sometimes at the country's finest universities. Then there are the Army War College, the Navy War College, and the Air War College, giving top officers a mid-career intellectual and leadership boost before resuming their careers. It's common to hear it's common to hear bromides about investing in human capital, but the military actually shows that it believes that. Partly as a result, it manages to retain first-rate officers who could earn far higher salaries in the private sector. And while the ethic of business is often gimme, the military inculcates an idea of public service that runs deep. In Afghanistan, for example, the soldiers sometimes dig into their own pockets to help provide supplies for local schools. Granted, it may seem odd to seek a model of compassion in an organization whose mission involves killing people. It's also true that the military remains often unwelcoming to gays and lesbians and is conflicted about women as well. And of course, the opportunities for the working class Americans are mingled with danger. But as we, as a country, grope for new direction in difficult economic environment, the tendency has been to move toward a corporatist model that sees investments in people as a woolly-minded sentimentalism or as unaffordable luxuries. That's not the only model out there. So, as the United States Armed Forces tries to pull Iraqi and Afghan societies into the 21st century, maybe they could do the same for America's. Hua. Right, that's the end of the article. There's a couple things here that I uh, actually agree with. Having been a, a, a member of the uh, United States Army uh, and as a veteran, uh, the healthcare, dental vision, all around healthcare of the military, I found was uh, on par with what I'm finding in the private sector. Now, I say that. Uh, I cannot afford the best there is out here in America. The fees that are charged. So I'm going in the local community that I live. And I'm shopping around at different hospitals. And I find the doctors that respond the way I want them to. And they are on par with what I experienced in the military. Uh, it's very much, uh, you know... 
very similar to what we have now, except in the military, you don't have private corporations defining price. You don't have private corporations um, blocking you for pre-existing conditions. Corporation gets in the way of an individual's health and an individual's choices. Now, there was a lot of hullabaloo about the health care plan that President Obama started. And I believe it is a wholly ridiculous plan that didn't go far enough. There should be a public, accessible, private co-op system. Meaning, groups of people can decide to all pool their money, just like in a corporation, shop around for the best deal, no matter what state it's in, and pay for the health care that they want, without the influence of corporates. Corporation, the sole purpose is to make money for its investors. It has no concern for your health or my health. So why should we fucking trust them with our health? It's absurd. And those against the idea of these private co-ops, whatever you want to call them, are against individual choice. And it's funny because it's the same people crying out on fucking public squares, namely the Tea Party, about the government getting in the way of personal choice. But these are specifically the ways that you can do it with your health care and you're against it, you fucking morons. I just don't understand... You know, when you have a group like the Tea Party, which was created and funded by the Koch brothers, which is a corporate fucking monster machine, they create, they are the Dr. Frankenstein of corporations, Um, (laughs) with only corporate fucking money-making interests at heart, and you're going to join their group for a cause of individual liberty? Are you fucking retarded? That is exactly what you're doing. And that is why I'm so against the fucking Tea Party. And that is why I'm so for private co-ops and healthcare. Because no one knows your fucking health needs like you. And no one should fucking have a say. Except for you. Um, You know, they say it's the government option. Uh, Really, it's just the private option. That's all it comes down to. The government doesn't fucking oversee it. Um, They may administer it. But that's wholly different. And if you can't see that difference then you're blinded by partisan politics or you're just fucking ignorant. Uh, So, you know what? Our military can teach us a lot of fucking things. I know it taught me a lot of fucking things uh, through my service. And I'd be surprised and hard-pressed to find other veterans who it didn't teach something to. In this case, I think it can teach our American society. And I don't agree entirely with this article, but with the core idea that we could learn from the healthcare system that the military provides for its soldiers, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, I think we should go in that direction. We should never have a corporation with business interests, with making a buck in between you and the future of your health. So that's it for our Unfurl Informant for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Let's go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and have a, a bit of a commercial break here. And when we come back, We're going to dive right into Jay Nothing, DJ for the Metro, and Bizarre the Bizarre. See you on the other side. Is this thing on? All right. Is this thing working now? You got it. All right. Uh, This year's um, Citizens Against Decency uh, Book Award 
uh, goes to Stephanie Crabe and uh, uh, Motel Bazaar. It's, uh, yes, excuse you. It's, it's not just a uh, book, photo book of uh, truck stop lesbians, wacko cult leaders, racists, trannies, and the uh, grossly obese. It also has uh, tits in it, which uh, I, uh, I can appreciate. Without uh, further ado, Cat Award for the Advancement of Immorality in uh, Books. Uh, Stephanie, where are you, darling? Come on up. What, what, what's that? I, I was supposed to go Motel Bazaar by Stephanie Crabe. Available through scapegoatpublishing.com. Now available from Purging Talon is the debut authored book by Church of Satan Magister Matt G. Paradise, Bearing the Devil's Mark. Bearing the Devil's Mark is a bold and no-nonsense treatise on the subject of Satanism. Not from the perverse pen of bitter and jealous Christians, or even their pagan counterparts, but straight from the satanic perspective itself. Sex, love, politics, technology, the God religions, and more. All brought to you by someone with over 25 years of actively living the satanic philosophy. To order, log on to PurgingTalon.com. Bearing the Devil's Mark, new from Purging Talon. Do you bear the mark? Fright fiends, hungry for a blood-curdling good time? Well, Terror Transmission brings you horror movie commentary like no other podcast. Listen in as your handsome hosts examine all of your current and soon-to-be favorites from the past. Tune in through iTunes or the show's official website, www.terrortransmission.com, where you can also find horror chat on-site movie reviews, horror DVD release dates, and more. And don't forget to check out Terror Transmission on Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, and Flickr. Terror Transmission, the greatest horror commentary podcast ever. Have you ever felt that there was a level above being human? Do you feel as though you are better than most mortals? If the answer is yes, then please explore the Temple of the Vampire. www.vampiretemple.com The Temple of the Vampire. Are you one of us? The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She is swamp water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by Jay Nothing from The Metro, another one of the fine podcasts available at Radio Free Satan Network. Uh, Jay Nothing, thanks for uh, joining me here today. Not a problem. So I-, I wanted to have you on the show to introduce 
your show and maybe you know just talk to you a little bit about um, the background of your show and uh, uh, you as a DJ as well. Uh, you know, just to let other people know not only what other people's what other Satanists are doing, um, you know, in, in, in the in the community, but our interests and uh, you know the other shows on the network uh, Radio Free Satan. So um, you know, just to begin, can you maybe tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, basically, I'm just a run-of-the-mill type of uh, person that you'd probably run across the street and not realize who I am. So, <laughs> it, the the actual listeners that have been listening to the Metro have heard me delve a little bit into my personal life at times, uh, like with my partner and stuff like that, and some other things that that, that go on. And basically, that's about it. It's just you know some early forty-year-old uh, somebody who loves. The stuff that he grew up on. Oh yeah, and uh, when did you first realize, or how were you first exposed to Satanism? Um, well, growing up, I've always been that had that feeling of being different than everybody else. And then when uh, the tenth grade happened, or I was in tenth grade English class, and a co or a classmate of mine uh, actually handed me a copy of the Satanic Bible. And while I'm reading it, and I read it the first time all the way through, nonstop. Nice. Now, this is what I am, and second time I read it, I was like, "Yeah, this is what I am. I'm just I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to divulge that, and just went from there." So, it, that's it, great. It's just one of those things, you know. I didn't even tell my parents. You know, a lot of people go home with, "Oh, look, the book I found." I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are are your parents uh, pretty conservative in that area? Um, my mother's, my mother was, uh, she passed away in 90. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's a, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> Live, you die. Uh, she was very liberal-minded about a lot of things. My father was the, basically the, con- the conservative of the family, so. Yeah. But I, I just turn around and, uh, I basically, my, my mother would tell my dad, hey, listen, as long as he's doing it on his own, he's uh, finding something useful out of it, she, wouldn't, she would not have cared. Huh, so. right on. Yeah, that's uh, much more welcoming than my mom was, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> um, but I was one of those kids that ran home and said, hey, guess what I figured out. <laughs> I was, I'm a little bit more reclusive with what who I am until I actually get to know the person. And my mother, she, I mean, she would always make fun about, you know, sex jokes and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it, if I told her, she probably would not have had a problem with it. That's very cool. So when did you first join the Church of Satan? Uh, actually, about two and a half years ago. You know, 10th grade is when I really found out what I was and who I was. You know, I had a term I can use. And then over the years, either due to the fact that I was married to my ex you know, my ex wife, uh, very conservative Christian and all this other stuff and not telling her, but she knew something was up because every time she'd bring up something uh with the white light religions, I would turn around and I would slam her. <laughs> just slam the door shut on her and she's just like, Whoa So about two and a half years ago I had the means and uh, my partner is w- more than willing to accept it. So that's fantastic. Uh, so let me ask you: what was that? What was it that made you take that leap from just being a Satanist to joining the Church of Satan organization? 
basically, I just felt like I was more, I was, you know, more willing to be out there and actually, you know, if it's a shock value to some people, so be it. Um, I don't go out there and broadcast to everybody that I am. Yeah. Uh, but I do drop hints, and if they pick up on it, great. But it's basically to, you know, I wanted to join because that was the one organization that understood me. You know, uh, Anton LaVey and I have one date in, or one thing in really in common. Our birthdays are the same day of the oh, year. Oh, cool. So I turn around, and I'm like, you know, that was another thing. Plus, I read... I think it was Satan Speaks or one of his, uh, uh, one of his other books. Yeah. And I just turned around and I said, I have, I have to join. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I really love all of the different types of writing that he's done, um, yeah. you know, during his time when he was around. Mm-hmm. So what, what started you, or I guess, what was it that influenced you to start podcasting? Uh, back when Radio Free Satan's first owner had was doing shows, and this is you know basically they were broadcasting live, and you could hear the stream and everything else. Yeah. Uh, I was a, I was just a listener, and one of the DJs had was going to go off and do something else, and I'm not going to mention any names of these two individuals. Okay. Long story. Uh, so I picked up doing. Um, the show that she was doing, which was industrial and kind of like gothic music and stuff like that. And I did that for probably about six months until I told the owner to go shove it up his ass. <laughs> we had a disagreement. I, I said something about Nine Inch Nails and, and uh, I said about modern industrial music, about Trent Reznor being kind of like the godfather of modern industrial and he was like bullshit. So... <laughs> It's just my opinion, and if he didn't like it, tough shit. So. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. But I got back into it when, and then I've just been doing it ever since. Uh, in which Tiberia is uh, is a great owner of the station. Cool. Well, how many years have you been running a podcast? Off and on, I've been doing it. I think two thousand two or two thousand three is when I started doing it. Off and on. Oh, nice. So good uh, chunk. <laughs> yeah, it's a big chunk, and, and trying to come up with something fresh and new is always fun to do. So, I, I originally did a show called the Pleasure Dome, which was new wave music, and then I I was like, I'm getting tired of this, and I switched it over to metal, and then with we're like Sonny Bellavance picking up uh, Metal Invaders, I was like, doesn't need it anymore, and then I probably about six months later, I started doing the the Metro. Which Very is, cool. Which is a fun little project. Yeah. What drew you to um, that type of music, uh, really that genre, that year, you know, that decade of music? Um, other than the fact that I grew up, I was in junior high and high school during the 80s. Um, New Wave was, you know, I wasn't really, I, as I've told my listeners, I am kind of a, a metalhead at heart, and I'm diehard about it, but... You know, bands like Duran Duran, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and all these other bands that were the new wave genre, you know, there was really, they had the, those one hits, and you may see something on like VH1 Classics or something, but there wasn't a program dedicated just to them. And, I, you know, a lot of the, the songs from the 80s, I'll search around to find. Um, there's bands like uh, Pseudo Echo that I hadn't heard until somebody told me about them. 
And yeah, I'm not familiar. I turned around and found one of their songs, and I played it on on the show. Hell yeah! So it, it's it's a it's an enlightening thing, and you know, there's some really good bands out there from the, that I hadn't even heard of. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things I, I really like about that decade. Um, I guess maybe before I go any further, I guess we should tell people what the Metro is all about if they haven't figured it out yet. Um, uh, do you want to go through a little brief explanation? Yeah, I'll go through the brief explanation. Cool. Basically, the Metro is Radio Free Satan's new wave um, post-punk show that deals with the 1980s music, um, more popular music like the new wave and the post-punk. Sometimes you'll hear... Things even like Rick Springfield, you may even hear that be thrown in there. Well, he came out in the '80s with an album, so yeah. uh, I kind of want to focus in on the bands that were pop back then. You know, like I said, I wasn't really into them at the time, but you know, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, uh, probably one of the biggest. Them in Berlin were like my two biggest favorite bands of the time, and then Duran Duran came out and they started going in there as well. So, hell yeah. But, it's just it's just a fun little show that I that I uh, put out every week. Yeah, I was actually listening to it um, earlier this week in the morning. I just messed around the computer before I got to go to work, mm-hmm. and uh, my wife uh, was getting ready and she walked in. She was like, "What the? What is this?" Like because she loves she's absolutely obsessed with this music, and she was like, "This is on your computer because normally it's like metal and stuff like that." But since, uh, you know, Radio Free Satan just sort of, you know, cycles through those podcasts, mm-hmm. I, I heard it, I was like, holy shit, this is like seriously taking me back to when I was a kid. And embarrassingly enough, my sisters were older than me. And so, you know, they would make me do these sort of, you know, in the 80s, how dance movies and like teen yeah. dance movies were pretty big. So, you know, they would make me go through the motions of those and, the, and listening to the music and doing like choreographed uh, steps and stuff, which is horribly you know em- embarrassing to uh, admit but it was it just listening to you know some of these songs i had completely forgotten about yeah and that's that's another reason why i want to do that show is because i want people to remember there was some actually good music that it was put out back then i mean i have i even broke out new kids on the block <laughs> yeah. um, actually a couple of weeks ago so that's funny i had a you know the 80s gets a really big bad rap <laughs> i think it does and you know people really generalize it as just being a, a really kind of shitty decade and i think it's probably because of a lot of things that were going on politically and with the economy and stuff like that you know residual mm-hmm. of the 70s late 70s but um you know as far as music goes man it was like the beginning of some really really great i, I don't know maybe the transition of some really really great you know, music and, mm-hmm. and it's sort of an experimental phase that I don't think we've really hit back on very, very, very well since, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you know, Duran Duran's been, been, been putting out albums. I mean, they just released a, an album last year. Yeah. And I'm going to be playing something off that new one. And either, uh, I'm not sure if I'm, it's going to be one of, in episode 102 or 103 when I'm going to be doing that. But I just got the album and the, the album is solid. It's a very well done album, and you know Billy Idol's still going strong. U two still really? going strong. Um, so it's kind of like people are trying exposing the people to this music is kind of like um, you've got the uh, was it the Belfry that uh, Tiberia does? Yeah. 
basically the old radio shows and stuff like that. That's basically what I'm trying to do with, with the Metro is get that music from yesteryear back out there so people can experience it maybe for the first time. Yeah, and, and it is something like, you know, you may not, like for me, for example, I wasn't really hugely steeped in music back then when I was growing up in it. And, uh, you know, those are my infor- informative years uh, in the 80s. So it's it, it's great to, like, rediscover that music and even just rediscover those those artists that were big then. Because, yeah. you know, now, you know, just like you said, Duran Duran just released an album that's, like, kick-ass. Mm-hmm. They've been doing it this long, refining their talent, their skill, and, and just, you know, their, their styles and, you know, just keeping going. I, I mean, some of the old hair bands that started in the late 70s and, and really drove through the 80s I'm still a fan of so and like Twisted and Motley Cruz and uh, White Stanks and stuff like that yeah. you know I'm well versed in the hard rock metal world you know but I still have a, a, a natural love and affection for these new wave bands that you know they may only had one hit but it was it was a good song yeah so so what made you decide on the name of your show with the Metro? I did the Pleasure Dome originally, um, and it's because I liked Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And when I s- approached Tiberi about doing another New Wave show, I was like, I don't want to dig up you know, the past. I want to come, come out with something new. And Berlin is another band that I actually like because I like Terry Nunn's voice. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite songs from them off the Pleasure, out- Pleasure Victim album was The Metro. So in a way, it's kind of paying homage to to Berlin for, you know, because the first song I've ever heard from them was Sex, which is a great tune. So, um, you know, if people haven't heard it or they're like, oh, well, maybe it's not. It's a great tune, believe me. (laughs) But basically, it's, it's kind of being nice to Berlin for putting out several good albums and several good songs. Nice. How how long has the Metro been running again? I just got episode 100, just got done airing. It's episode 101 now. Yeah, that is impressive, man. <laughs> Actually, and of course, with a couple weeks taken off. So it's been up over two years now. And is it, uh, you try to put it out weekly and stuff? Yeah, I, I, do, I do a weekly show. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and have you ever thought of evolving your show into any different directions, or are you pretty happy with the format that you've you've landed in? I like the format that I've landed in. Um, I've been tempted to incorporate, because some of the, uh, the hard rock and metal bands have actually covered uh, New Wave songs. There's a band, I can't remember the top of, off the top of my head, but they do an, a very good version of... Duran Duran's Wild Boys. They have an album that's nothing but covers of new wave hits. Uh, Fear Factory did Cars, yeah. which was done by Gary Newman. And I was thinking about incorporating some of that into like the last song that I play uh, because I turn around and I kind of follow the, the format because I used to do FM DJ work. I start the start the show, and then five minutes or thereabout, I do it. You know, do like a, a, a funny little tag or something like that. Yeah. And then I have a little format that I follow, and the last song is after you know the last break, and I turn around and I, you know I was thinking about throwing in some of that the the metal or hard rock ver, uh, versions of the '80s tunes, but I haven't gone there yet. I want to 
get more into the uh, obscure 80s uh, new wave and pop and post-punk bands. Cool. Yeah, I, I think your show is the most radio station-like of all of them that I've heard on that yeah. on the network. Well, it's it's because I I was actually FM trained. Yeah. So I did six months down in Key West, and I kind of like to follow follow a formula that I'm comfortable with, and I'm very comfortable with that. Plus, you know, you can't be too serious about yourself. That's why I, I throw in like I've got one of Cat Williams saying "Pimp Down." Uh, something I've got some new tags from the Hellraiser movie and stuff like that, or Jeff yeah. comedy bits. Uh, I do that just for just for the fun of it. I may throw in. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Hokey Fucking Pokey by Psycho Stick. No, I haven't. You, you've heard the Hokey Pokey, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is this is a humor core version of that song, and I had told uh, Reverend Bill M. Uh, of the Devil's Mischief about the band, and he just uh, last week or the week before that he played a, a Psycho Stick tune, and yeah. they, they they have some some stuff. And the Hokey Pokey basically was there was a real big thing about it in the '80s, so I was like, well, this might be funny to throw <laughs> in there, just you know. But like I said, I'd rather go more obscure bands so people can hear them because. Um, there's bands, like I said, I haven't heard of in ages, and it would be great for other people to hear these bands as well. Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree. Where can people find your show outside of Radio Free Satan? Are, are there any other avenues? I was thinking about doing, actually putting the podcast up somewhere else, but I haven't had the desire to due to the fact that one, Tiberia is a great owner of the Radio Free Satan. Yeah. She busts her tail for it, and uh, I kind of feel loyal to Radio Free Satan because of that. So I kind of just rather just leave it there. I mean, you can find it on iTunes. Um, she made sure that I t- uh, all the podcasts are available via iTunes, so you, can, you won't miss them when it's been updated and stuff like that. But I... I'd rather stick with Radio Free Satan instead of expanding out into another area because you got to think of the music that you've got to pay for, for royalties and stuff like that, yeah. and Radio Free Satan covers all that for Do you take recommendations for your show? Yeah. You, if people can get a hold of me, I've had several people, like I said, that uh, one girl on uh, Undercroft sent there, and, and she told me about Pseudo Echo and stuff like that, and she's like, you know, if he's come out and, and search YouTube and, and you know, find some bands and stuff like that. And all they got to do is get a hold of me. And um, if I've got it, I'll throw it in there. If not, I will find it. Cool. And how, what's the best way that people can get a hold of you? Uh, there's several different ways. And I'd say this in my shows. Yeah. Uh, one, they can send me an email, uh, which is rfs.metro at gmail.com. Uh, if they have an undercroft account uh they can go there you can also take a look at my profile on there and it's got the link to the facebook page that i actually at every monday or tuesday or whatever it is i post the weeks the previous week's playlist on there as well as it shows up on radio free satan and basically those are the best ways to get a hold of me i don't have i don't do skype accounts for you know i've got another one that i do for a different side project that i have so, but other than that, that's basically the best way to do it. 
Okay. And, and, and I do tell people if, if they send me an email, be nice, because I will make fun of them online if they don't. <laughs> now I want someone to send some hate mail in. <laughs> oh, go ahead, send me hate mail. I could be very hateful. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so are, are you comfortable talking about what, what other projects you're working on? Yeah, I'm, I'm more than comfortable talking about that. Um, yeah, what, what else are you the, working my on? Little, I basically, I do um, DJ for another website. Um, well, I haven't done it lately because of my upload speed hasn't been there because they, they stream at 128K stereo. Mm -hmm. A place called braingel.com. It's with two L's. Some people only put one L. But I'm one of the, the trainers slash one of the head DJs there. And I'm also the webmaster for it. And basically, like I've got to train some, i got to make sure everybody's settings are correct with uh, Sam Broadcaster. Um, you know, I don't do Shopcast. I do Sam Broadcaster. And I turn around and help help the station owner with that and other things. Plus, I do web work for a tattoo shop up in Atlanta. And that can take up a little, quite a bit of my time with the, with as much updating as that guy really needs. And, hey, I can't argue. It's basically free tattoos and piercings for... Oh, that's some... badass. I know, I know. I've got like 21 tattoos. I'm going nice. for one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's so funny because that, that is like the worst question I could ever get is, how many tattoos do you have? 21. One? <laughs> Maybe just oh, one yeah, because they be all bleed yeah, together. <laughs> when I say, yeah, I've got one tattoo and they can see... Both my arms covered. They'd be like, "How can you have one?" I'll strip down. Bam! You see, just one tattoo. So nice. Yeah, um, that's a it's kind of quirky, and um, I mean, it, I, my mother's from England, so I got that dry, uh, dry British humor at times. <laughs> nice. Uh, Warlock Sonny Battle Vance is working on a new album. Yeah. So um, I've temporarily taken over Metal Invaders. Oh, really? So, yeah, so I've been doing that show just as well. So it's been it's been interesting. I play like the new Behemoth and uh, the new Otep and some other you know new stuff because with the Brain Gel stuff, I turn around and I I'm on the 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 record record label pool list. So when a new album comes out, I get it before it's released. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so I turn around and I do that and. Every so often, when I get something new, I'll load it up and uh, I'll play it on Metal Invaders. Hell yeah. Well, that's great, man. Um, thank you so much for joining me. And for the, the listeners out there, the Metro is absolutely worth it. If you're not a fan of 80s music, you know, I, I can't rationalize that, but I can say that this will take you down memory lane. So you should check it out for that alone. But if you are a fan of 80s music or you want to maybe be uh, introduced to new music, from that decade that you love. Uh, the Metro is the, the fucking broadcast to do it. They are, um, Jay Nothing is doing a great job at providing some really fantastic music and in a format that is easy to listen to, it's comfortable, you're not being assaulted by random elements of noise, it's just the music and it's, uh, you know, it really lets the music speak for itself and it's really worth it. I know I'm listening and my wife is a big fan now as well, so thank you for, for putting it out there. Okay, and don't be surprised if I don't do a shout-out to you and your wife, then. <laughs> that would be great, as long as it's not bad. Do that time to time when somebody sends me an email or they do a request, I say, this is for this person, I will do shout-outs. 
to people that do that I know listen and, and stuff like of that that line so very cool thank you and uh again thank you so much for uh, allowing me to interview you i know you're you're very busy and uh yeah let's do this again and uh until then uh, hail satan hail satan welcome 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 to the bazaar of the bazaar all right so i am sitting at work listening to the House of a Thousand Corpses soundtrack. And it's that track, if you've ever seen the movie, um, there's a track where Sherry Moon Zombie is saying that old uh, children's rhyme, Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, look at these. Over and over again. Like I think she says like three or four times. So I'm listening to this, and my boss walks in. And I already feel, for no reason, no justified reason, but I already feel like the people at my work think rather than work all day, I just search porn. And I don't do this. And I don't know why, but I genuinely think that's what they think I do. Because whenever they come in and talk to me, they make it a point to walk around to my side of the desk, and I'm watching them the whole time, and the first thing they do, rather than looking at me, is look at my screen to see what I'm doing. And it may just be paranoia, you know, whatever you want to call it, but that's what I think. So my boss walks in, and this is playing, which... If, if, if you're not familiar with that uh, children's rhyme, or you're not familiar with this movie, you just hear this high-pitched female voice saying, look at these, you know, what the fuck are you going to think? So he walks over, and he's looking at my screen, and I'm working on a project that he knows about, but this is playing, and I, <laughs> like, he's just staring at the screen perplexed, and I'm looking at him, and I can tell he's, like, trying to figure out... Are there other layers? Like, is there a browser open beneath the work he's working on that he just switched to? <laughs> like, it was terrible. Of all the people to walk in, at the most inopportune moments, my boss walks in now. So, you know, I, I play it cool. I turn the music down. I don't want to turn it down too fast or else he thinks I am hiding something, which I'm not. It's just a fucking little tiny soundbite between the fucking great music that that, that film was um, featuring. But it's just like, I know at all times, it just drives me fucking crazy. You know, I, I, I can't do anything. And it's like, every time someone walks in, I have a page reloading. Not because I'm hiding anything, just because it's complete coincidence. So, to compound that, uh, another girl walks in, at com like months months later, maybe even years later. And... I'm listening to the Ricky Gervais podcast, which, if you're not familiar, is Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, and Carl Pilkington. And they all sort of sit around and talk. They, like, bring a subject, and um, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant ask Carl Pilkington his perspective and then make fun of him for his perspective. It's actually a really, really fucking funny podcast, and it actually turned into the Ricky Gervais show featured on HBO. So I'm listening to this, and I'm not really paying attention to the content of the podcast because I'm kind of embroiled in the the work that I'm doing at the moment. And uh, this gal walks in um, 
talking loudly to another one of the girls who ends up leaving, and suddenly there's a moment where she says, uh, so Adam, I wanted to talk to you about a project, and then she stops to sort of collect her thoughts, and the podcast starts talking about gay men anally fisting each other. (laughs) No, I don't know about you out there. And I don't know about your particular work environments. But the subject of homosexual anal fisting never comes up in a professional environment. And it starts, and so I'm caught in this trap of, okay, do I immediately turn it down after I fucking know she heard that? That just makes it seem like I'm in the fucking wrong. So do I just sort of start talking, hoping that she missed it in that brief moment of silence (laughs) that she was waiting on? Or do I just start, like addressing the podcast immediately like uh, you know trying to make excuses for it or you know what the fuck is the 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 the, what am i supposed to do in this case so i ended up turning beet red dropping my head and shaking it and (laughs) just telling her all right look (laughs) i'm not (laughs) doing anything i'm not supposed to and I haven't touched the volume, so he is still riffing on homosexual fisting, and they are fucking going off on it in the background. And I don't want to, I cannot fucking turn it down, because then that's admission of guilt, or admission of impropriety, and I had no idea that he was going to be bringing this. This is the first time I've heard this fucking podcast episode, so I didn't know he was going to be fucking talking about it, so I'm not in the fucking wrong here. So I cannot admit to being wrong by turning the volume down. So it's continually going. So she walks around the computer to the screen side to verify that, no, I'm not watching something about this. And let me tell you something. I enjoy watching some crazy shit. But that is not one of them. (laughs) So it was horribly embarrassing. So I explained to her, no matter what, no matter who it is, no matter when it is, at some point, no matter fucking when during the day someone walks in at the most inopportune fucking time with my music playing like it could be just the most mundane of songs but as soon as someone fucking walks in there's a fucking swear word that's shouted out there's a fucking sexual innuendo that's shouted out it's it's just invariably it fucking happens so i have this fucking reputation at some level of listening to like the most filthy dirty fucking shit (laughs) And it's so fucking by coincidence. Like, I do not plan this shit out. It was horribly embarrassing. Okay, so my advice to all of you professionals out there, wear fucking earbuds. (laughs) Or just listen to fucking public radio. Because if you don't, if you listen to, like, the regular shit that you like hearing, invariably something is going to fucking come out when someone walks in. And it's going to be horribly embarrassing. And I'm lucky that the people I work with find humor, at least to my face, in it. (laughs) I I had to fucking whip out that silver tongue to talk myself out of that situation. (laughs) And it wasn't easy, and it was very embarrassing. So uh, save yourself some fucking headaches and get some fucking earbuds. <laughs> and, and by the way, House of a Thousand Corpses soundtrack is actually really good, <laughs> despite my little mishap. And the Ricky Gervais show podcast is very good and very funny, despite my fucking mishaps. <laughs> All 
right, so that that's it for uh, this week's Bizarre the Bizarre never-ending featurette on my fucking ridiculous life. And that's it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear from you. Visit 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, or general comments you might have. You can visit Undercroft, Facebook, Twitter, or MySpace page of 9cents and get updated on weekly topics. You can also listen to this show, primarily, hopefully this is the first place you're going to go, through Radio Free Satan. Or you can download this show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com or subscribe via iTunes by searching 9cents. And uh, listen up, if you are getting this via iTunes, take two minutes out of your day, and it probably doesn't even take that long. But take a couple seconds, give me a fucking rating. If it's a one star, if it's a five star, I don't care, just give me a rating. And if you want, if you're so bold, give me a review. Even if it's fucking bad, I'll give you credit. I like constructive criticism, and I adore honesty, above all things. So, if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit Undercroft at satanet.com. They have a fantastic Letters to the Devil message board where you can uh, find a plethora of topics. And you should probably subscribe there too and get access to the basement. If you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities... Visit Radio Free Satan, an online streaming radio station. And before I go, I'd like to take a brief moment and highlight my children's book, How Crow Got a Scareback. It's a tale of a scarecrow who forgets himself and finds his inner strength in the unlikeliest of places. It's filled with satanic reference, so it's a must-have for your little warlocks and witches in the making. You can learn more or purchase the children's book by visiting adampcampbell.com forward slash crow. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan.